We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the hills of Strawberry Canyon, I'm Coin Dang, and this is the Golden Bear Cast. Let's go, go Bears! What is up, Cal fans? We are back with another episode of the California Golden Bear Cast. We are live recording here in the East Bay, where it is raining. We are a proud partner of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we are here. The rain piece was important. I didn't just say that randomly because it is the perfect depiction of our collective mood right now. It feels like it's been raining on us Cal fans literally since Aaron Rodgers tested positive for COVID. That was the beginning of the rain and it was proverbial and now it is literal. So Rob, co-host, what's up? What's happening? How's life? Would you would you say that the the inflection point was when Rogers tested positive, or would you say the inflection point is when Rogers went on Pat McAfee and went on a forty minute rant? The beginning of the rain was the positive test, uh-huh. but really the beginning of the storm was the Ian Rapoport tweet that he was unvaccinated, uh-huh. and what came of that. <laughs> And him saying I'm immunized or whatever the hell how you pronounce that word. I don't even I can't even imagine going to a talking to the press and trying to pronounce that damn word. Um, <laughs> like, immunized. <laughs> I feel like damn it, I'm just gonna get the vaccine so I don't have to say that word out loud. Like yeah. forget that. Um I think so that's why I say so it's like you have okay, you've your light rain starting, then you have a little bit of your atmospheric river coming down, and then now we're just like literally in a thunderstorm. You're yep. saying thunderstorm is worse than an atmospheric river? Yeah, because there's lightning involved. I would say we're in like full on like hurricane, like you know, Irma. Depth, like yeah, hurricane like threat level five. Wait, is cat it five. is it higher the number the yeah. worse it is, or is it lower the number the worse higher. it is? It's higher. higher? So cat five's worse. Yeah. Cat, oh yeah. Let's I'd say we're like maybe a three. We're looking at three. Five is major cheating scandal for me. What would be a cat five Dude, hurricane? Five for me, I'll tell you a real one. A real five for me that happened was when we became the worst uh, 
at graduating our players in the conference. That's your cat five. That was, that was because we've always had that and we've always held it over places like Oregon, Washington. Oh, okay, okay. oh so, so we're, we're saying like to Cal, like not just in like a college football no, athletics no. stratosphere. Cause like in, in that sense, I'm like, that's like, that's like Baylor art Bryles or like Joe Pa Penn state. Like that's cat five. That's, I mean, that's, that's cat five. My cow cat five is yeah because we haven't had that. But if we did have that, that would be cat five. Okay, okay. So maybe okay. you say that this is category category four. But that was a big deal, man. Like it was basketball and football. And like I remember, there's nothing worse than a bunch of Oregon fans being like, "Wow, we're better like academics than you guys are." And you're like, "No, you're not. Like, absolutely not." But but are we four. academically prowess? Hmm. Loaded question. <laughs> it could always be worse. The theme of the 2021 California always, Golden Bearcast. Always be worse. The always Jimmy Lake story. Well, I, <laughs> let, we got a lot to talk about. I'm thinking this is going to be a decently long podcast. So let's let's just start hitting hitting our notes. All right. Let's let's start with let's start at the top. Let's start with the start of the storm. Right. Let's start with the little sprinkle. The little uh the the dart the. The clouds are setting in a little bit. You get a little bit of rain. You're like, I should probably get home quickly. And what is that? It's that the Aaron Rodgers story drops where he's unvaccinated and he tested positive. And uh, that was that. And then it leads into the whole going on a full-on anti-vaxxer rant come come (laughs) Friday. So the progression... To that day, I mean, that was just such a sad day in life. It was interesting, though, because we were on this podcast the week before and we had talked about how that maybe Rogers had missed with the Tedford ceremony mm-hmm. and that he was upset, but that Tedford, you know, might not have wanted that and that his ire was misplaced. And that we heard that that could have potentially been true. Right. And that was when I had had that first moment where I was like, damn, OK, like maybe Rogers is just kind of like a grumpy grandpa that like lives in Wisconsin and just this is yeah. like really hard to please. Right. Or he was just having his old coaches back. It was just one of those. Sure. 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 This is the first time I ever had doubt on like the, I, the way we idolized Rogers. That was the first time mm-hmm. I tweeted. I was like, this is the first time where I was like, yeah, like I fell off about it. And then he tested positive COVID. And I was like, yeah. So, <laughs> okay. Like, that feeling was really correct. I should. And then it was like, he went on the McAfee show and it was like, holy bananas. This dude is bonkers. Is it CTE? <laughs> like, What is going on? He took the right wing playbook for vaccination stance and played it to a literal T. He, he said went he was into a, he said, cancel well, culture. Well, we we need to we need to preface that first because his first statement was that he was a critical thinker, yes, and that he was not a flat earther or an anti vaxxer That's what he prefaced his rant with, and then proceeds, and I toss it back to Andy. Well, let's see. Woke mob, cancel culture. He compared himself to MLK. Just the worst part of the entire thing, in my opinion. Uh, he said he was friends with Joe Rogan. 
God. He, oh, oh, wait, wait. We're forgetting that he actually he took ivermectin. He actually I took said that. ivermectin and uh, said that it the vaccine, he was worried about it making him sterile. He also added that he was allergic <laughs> to something in the vaccine, which I believe the stats are 22 out of 1 million. That might be and, his most valid point. Absolutely not. Total bullshit. No, absolutely but I'm not. saying I'm saying uh, there's at least stats to to provide. Like if they had found that's I'm saying that's that's like the the only <laughs> part of his rant that's like okay, sure, maybe. Like that's as far as I'll go. And then it was just downhill. Downhill. Yeah, I agree. So, I'm trying to think, did I miss did I miss anything, Rob? I'm trying to think about the, I mean the the I stopped listening as soon as I heard Ivermectin. So, it was just one of those situations of Eh, ivermectin. Yeah, I'm not. I don't need to talk about this anymore, or listen to this anymore. Uh, I was texting with some people, and I was like, I don't know if I can get myself to watch that entire 40 minute rant. And they were like, Yeah, it's rough to watch. I read enough tweets, and that should be good enough. I didn't even believe the tweets when I saw them. I did it too. What, I thought it was I was all like, a there's, I th- someone's joking, right? Someone's behind a computer just mm-hmm. making these up. Mm-hmm. And then I listened to it and was like, No, these are real. <laughs> these are real. You see Howard Stern segment today? It was hilarious. <laughs> just destroyed Aaron Rodgers. Like, the next time you're on the field and you go down with an injury, instead of consulting a doctor, you know who I want you to call? I want you to call your good friend Joe Rogan and ask him how to fix it. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, the, 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 like the collateral damage from Aaron Rodgers wasn't even just Aaron Rodgers. It's his fiance Shailene Woodley. Because all of her like former articles about how she has a holistic approach to like herself and all that like came to light. And you know, all the articles about uh like I didn't read the specifics, but the Cliff Notes parts I got and if if you if you know if you've read it, please correct me. I would love to be I would love to be corrected wrong on this. Um but there was things that saying that she eats clay there were yes. things saying that she makes her own toothpaste, which is fine. I think you can make your own soap and toothpaste. That's all good. But it's just the approach that she had. Um, and I think the thing for me is I was listening to uh, Max Kellerman, which I don't, who I don't usually agree with. But he was like, you went on a show and you weren't, you weren't critically combated in terms of questioning. No one questioned it. Pat McAfee just let you speak. They didn't point out and fact check you and see what you're doing. And his biggest point was if you because Aaron Rodgers kept saying like he wanted to have a conversation, right? He didn't want to be confrontational. And what Max Kellerman was saying was if you want to have that conversation, then you have to tell us what your uh, how you were immune. Like what what did you do to think that you were immunized? And from that. Like people talk about the evidence and they actually break into what he's saying and see if there's any scientific basis to what method he used to say that he was immunized, right? He has to be able to take that criticism and get that, you know, study done on whatever he did, but he keeps beating around the bush. He doesn't say like exactly what he did. Like Rogers just keeps saying I'm immunized. Yeah, it's the Rogers 
The Rogers brand, the discount double check. Well, the, by the well, State Farm's sticking by him, so you know. State Farm's put out literally the most garbage, all lives matter type of stance I've ever seen from a corporate company that doesn't, you know, outside of the NRA. <laughs> it's like, they provide insurance. Everybody is entitled to their own choice. Have you been living under a damn rock this entire time? <laughs> All right, enough about that. No one wants to hear me talk about that stuff. So that's the beginning of it. <laughs> then we'll flip it over to you, Rob. What happened with the Cal program? How did the storm get worse? How did it go from a tropical depression into so, maybe a Category 1 hurricane? I actually was planning to do this uh, earlier today, but I got sidetracked. Uh, before our podcast because I was playing Guardians of the Galaxy on the PlayStation and I lost track of time, like right after dinner before we started recording. So I don't have the actual timeline on my hands, but the basic gist of it is um, on certain boards, it started to leak that uh, Cal players were not, had tested positive for COVID and were not going to be able to make the trip to Arizona. It, it like leaked. And then it started to build and people were like, huh, what, what's happening? And then the statement from the university and the FX program comes out that there's multiple players that tested positive and they will not be making the trip and um, that they're testing other players and so on. We didn't get any more news for the rest of the, for the rest of that day. And I believe that was, I believe that was Thursday um, or Wednesday when that first news first dropped, I believe it was Thursday. And then Friday, there's a little bit more news that trickles out like about how many players there's some dudes that are like, cause they had, they're traveling Friday afternoon, right? The flight to Arizona with the team. So this news starts trickling out. This guy from Arizona says there's like up to 50 people missing from the team, which ultimately came out not to be true. Uh, we found out in the broadcast that it was, what did, what was it? Was it number 24, 26, 24 plus 12, I think. Yeah. 24 players, 12 coaches, 12 coaches, or 12 staff. Yeah. 36 um, total. I mean, 50, like, yeah, the first time I was like, no, 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 no chance. No, and then, yeah, but it wasn't that far off. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they just didn't think about staff. I mean, it wasn't 50 Yeah, players, I mean, the, like the pregame show said it was like uh, five coaches. Like I had heard it was four coaches. There was like another Roxy Burstein was inter- interviewing Wilcox before the game. And where Roxy said three coaches missing. So the numbers were just like all over the place. Right. And as, as a situation like this unfolds, like, of course, the numbers are fluid. Um, and then, so all that happens. 24 players don't go. The game still gets played. Um, and then after Saturday is when the questions start to come in, right? Of like, how did this happen? When did we find out? What was the protocols that knocked these guys out from not showing up? If we had won the game, no one would care, Right. It's the fact that we had lost the game is like when it starts to because all the fans just want to know why did this happen? People were blaming the city of Berkeley. People were blaming the athletics department. People were blaming the players. People were blaming the coaches. It was it was anywhere like people could throw blame at. They were trying to throw blame at someone to scapegoat like this situation and this loss to somehow rationally comprehend uh, that that was the reason or that person was the sole reason that group of people was the sole reason that led to uh, this result, which of course now knowing not all the facts, but some more 
it feels like it's across the board, right? If there's 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 decision made, there's whatever it may be, just across the board that is not a good look on anybody. Um, but that's what happens. And then now today is when we start to get some more information and, uh, you know, we could go through all the details, but like you could easily go to Red for California and read Avi's article that literally timelines you through like everything that happens. Um, and like when press conferences happened, who they talked to, when they found out, so on. We don't, we still don't know all the details. I believe coach Wilcox is scheduled to talk to press tomorrow. Um, so maybe we'll get some more answers there, but you know, it's, it's not the the greatest of moments right now. So, so that's where the timeline is at. The timeline is is helpful and there's a couple of things. I guess I'm going to go into this now versus later. So, I feel like and I t- I gave you a heads up on this one. I'm going to wax slightly into some thoughts I've had about the world we live in <laughs> and the times specifically that we live in. I'm ready. I'm ready. And what I think happened somewhat and this is incredibly this is just an opinion of a guy that's you know the east bay resident and just got to see how things have been kind of unfolding and what happened with covid was it was something so big and so large and i say this sorry once again just trying to make sure that everyone knows this is just my opinion on this but covid became this event where everyone was seeking to understand and wanting to know who to blame. And it became a blame game that was that went all the way to the top. Our, our president at the time played that game and scapegoated, and we scapegoated, and we scapegoated. And we drummed up anti-specific, like, you know, anti-Asian violence and things of that have were horrific events that have brought us back 30, 40 years because we were searching for somebody to blame. And it's this idea of that in any scenario, there has to be somebody accountable for what had happened. It couldn't have just been natural of the earth and just appeared. It had to have been, quote unquote, manufactured in a lab, right? And in so doing, what has happened I think is we have started to do this in other places in our life, in our lives. And this week, in my opinion, was one of them where we went from everyone on our team has COVID. And I think that's where that conversation should have ended. It's a pandemic. They got COVID. It's a statistical anomaly that 24 of them tested positive for COVID if they were all vaccinated. It should be written up in scientific studies. But instead of talking about the rarity of why and how how this happened and the ultimate guilty party being COVID, we started to place blame in all sorts of different areas. So it started with the players. The players were going out. It was Halloween. They weren't wearing masks. It was on them. How the hell does anybody know that they got it from going out? They could have got it from going to La Barita. They could have got it from going to Top Talk. They could have gotten it from playing Oregon State. There's no possible way that we know with any certainty where any of this happened. And you cannot say that you know because you don't. And that's the thing with the pandemic. You don't know. 
And sometimes we just have to be okay with not knowing. There doesn't have to be this blame that has to go to somebody or something. And now you see the the product of this, which is that this is not ending. And so when you talk, what you just talked about, Rob, when you're like, almost everyone is to blame, I'm like, at the beginning, what I think, I'm like, COVID is to blame in COVID only, right? That's my, that's kind of my first thought. But now that you have everybody playing in this stupid, meaningless blame game, we've completely lost sight of what is actually at fault. And we're creating a story that is now continuing to exist when you and I both think this could have been over with and we should have been on to USC. And it's not going away now. No way. No. No chance. Nope. And so I sort of have felt on an island with some of these thoughts. But the large part for me in in why I believe this is because I know that I haven't held myself to that standard that others believe that we should have held our players to. And by the accounts or by the, the standards that we are creating for the coaching staff, I would not meet them. I will say it here. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm vaccinated. I just got my booster shot. I've been indoors without a mask with a, a group of six to 10 people on multiple occasions. I have done it. I have gone out to restaurants indoors in Berkeley and had a great delicious meal with 40 other people I do not know and had a fantastic time and I didn't have to wear a mask. That's as casual as it gets and that's all it takes. And that is my point is that it doesn't have to be this sinister act. It doesn't have to be a failure of leadership that when you do the things that 40% of this country was unwilling to do, and you take that additional step to protect yourself and protect those around you, and you are unlucky enough to yet still test positive for it, you deserve the benefit of the doubt, not the ire of our rage. That's it. Point. Well said. I I think... Uh... How should I approach this? Um, the big thing for me on on what you said, I think all of it holds true. I think we're making a bigger deal of it than it actually is in the circumstances of which it is, right? The overarching theme of COVID and the potential possibility of long-term effects of it and, you know, um, mortality or fatality and, and all that, we don't think about as often anymore because we've been going through COVID so long. And I, I don't think we're at that point where we need to talk about that. And that's why we're going about our lives and we're taking on said uh, amount of risk that we're okay with personally. Right. And so, so like, it's actually funny because I'm here listening to what you're saying. And a lot of it starts to click for me now as a third party, that's not invested in this. Right. I'm invested as a fan, but I'm not I'm not in it. I'm not I'm part of the city of Berkeley. I'm not on the team. I'm not 
Like the win loss to me, I'm not going to hit. I'm not going to feel as hard as I would if I was a player unable to play. Right. You're always going to have that. What if now if you're a player and you weren't able to play in this game being like, what if I was there? What if I was there? We could have won. Right. So I'm not going to go into that. But what I will say is, as as I've had this epiphany, as we as, as you were talking, it's just it was just a perfect storm of circumstances where you had the Pac-12 and their policies and what you do if a guy is symptomatic and they have all the procedures set. If you're symptomatic and you're vaccinated, if you're symptomatic and you're not vaccinated and you get in contact with that person, all of that stuff, all of the rules and regulations, right? But the, pe- the people that are saying, well, why did it happen at Cal and not anywhere else, right? And I think... I think that's what I mean by the perfect storm is it just so happened that we had, I mean, who knows if they're vaccinated or not, but we had a few guys that were symptomatic. They felt sick. They got tested. They tested positive. Okay. Now that's the preface set, right? It's like, it's like a, it's, it's like a lot. It's like a logic game. So now that, now that we know premise a has been fulfilled, what do we have to do in premise B, right? Premise B is, if it's an X amount of people or if it's, you know, in a workplace, like the county, the city, you know, wherever it may be, may ask everyone to get tested because you're in such close proximity. Okay, you get tested. You test negative, cool beans, free to go, right? But there were other guys that tested positive. Okay, then what's the next step from that? The next step from that, because we fulfilled B, is to move on to C, which was you have to test negative over a five to seven day span and quarantine over that five and seven day span if you're vaccinated. If you're not, then it's mandatory 14 days, just like it was during 2020 if you tested positive. And you go through that list. And if you think about it rationally and how everything went went down, once again, as you were saying, we don't need to blame where they got it, how they got it, what the procedures were before they tested positive. The fact of the matter is, is they tested positive, then you move on to the next step of how these policies were in place because we are in a public health crisis. I don't, for me, the more and more I think about it, there is, there, it's either no one to blame or everyone to blame, right? Like it's, you, you can't, there's no, there's no halfway point. It's like, if you blame no one, then you're blaming the virus and you're blaming the circumstances in which it occurred. If you're going to blame everybody, then you're saying you have no reason to quip about this because those were the rules. You can't change the goalposts and move these things whatsoever because you had already said these were the rules. Like it's, I think it's just, it's all over the place. We're just, they're trying to find us, as you said, like a scapegoat or an answer to it. But as, as you and I are talking right now, the more and more I think about it, it's, it was just the circumstances of the situation and what, they were deemed to do and that's where it ends yeah Full stop. i think that's such a healthy way just the way that you you kind of go down the decision tree right if this happens then this if this happens then that and at the end of the day look at that and you just it's exactly it dude it's like it's last year when this was happening you were saying oh you went to that wedding and 
You shouldn't have done that. You weren't vaccinated, right? Nobody was vaccinated. Nobody had the opportunity to take a step to actually protect themselves. And what we're now saying is like, we're trying to hold, we're trying to hold up similar standards when those have gone away. Dude, I have a friend in Georgia who said he hasn't worn a mask since May of 2020. Like (laughs) there's, you know, it's just different out there. And that's what the thing is like, we need to acknowledge what we do really well. We're in the highest percentage vaccinated, one of the highest percentage vaccinated places in the country, in the entire country. And this still happened. It's shit luck, man. It is what it is. But at the end of the day, it's a pandemic. I can't control if I'm going to get COVID or not, if I'm doing most of the things right. And okay, yeah, maybe you could have worn a mask inside, but who am I to judge? Am I wearing a mask indoors 100% of the time in all situations? Absolutely not. I'm wearing them when I go out to a grocery store to protect myself and to protect others. If I'm in a room full of 10 friends and we are hanging out together, I'm not, everyone knows we're all vaccinated. We all feel comfortable with it. Great. That's our decision. And who the hell am I to judge an 18 to 22 year old for making that same choice? Or something else that you said that I really wanted to add on onto but in what is becoming a new tradition for me i have completely (laughs) forgot what it was but yes i mean i think like what you talked about too is like the disaster that it is now where i'm almost more pissed that we're getting into this from a program standpoint rather than just if you know the press conference will be important for me because what i would like to see wilcox do just come out and be like this needs to be done we need to be beyond this I'm not going to belabor this. We're going to play with the guys we got. We're not going to play with the guys we don't. doesn't matter, right? I'm over it. I do not want this to become, especially, all right, so here's what I was going to say. Luckily, I remembered it this time. The one piece of this that we haven't explored, which will maybe poke a little bit of a hole in my entire speech, but I'm just going to go for it. (laughs) Okay. Is... The structure that was put into place for this season was all or nothing, right? It was, if there is a COVID outbreak, the team that has the COVID outbreak will forfeit the game. And the thought I had the other day was, it really sucks that we've moved away from this idea of rescheduling. Because both Cal and Arizona don't need this game to compete for a Pac-12 championship. We could have moved it to that week. Mm -hmm. And we could have played the game most likely at full health. Now, you don't know if Arizona is going to have the same outbreak. And, you know, what do you do then? I'd say just call it a tie, (laughs) you know? But that's the other piece of this is we kind of moved from leniency to all or nothing. As a conference and as conferences and as NFL, you know, like multiple orgs. But with how actually COVID has played out in this season, it's been so good that you actually didn't need that or nothing. And so what I'd be curious about is, did anyone contact the Pac-12 and be like, we've moved a game because of fire. We've moved a game because of air quality. Can we move this game because... 
we had an unprecedented number of players have breakthrough cases given our vaccination rate and move it because to me, not having that on the table is, is also one of the things that you could look back on with what if, with a what if, what if lens, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And that's my point. It's unlucky. We have bad luck. We go to Cal. We went to Cal. <laughs> this is it. We were going to come to USC on a three-game winning streak, and there was four and five with a shot at going seven and five, and the program on a really nice upward trajectory swing, and it was taken away. And it was because of COVID. And it wasn't because of anybody else. It wasn't because of any particular person. It was because of COVID. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, there's there's so many other like avenues, rabbit holes, discussions that you can have about this if you were to go into the nitty gritty, right? You can talk about the coaches. You could talk about the players. You could talk about the city of Berkeley and their protocols. You could talk about the athletics department. You could talk about... I don't know if there's any other any other uh, parties that are invested in this, um, but you know what I mean. Like you, you could easily go into every single one, and I don't think there's a need to go into every single one. Nor is this like an NPR investigative journalism podcast where you know <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna talk about all the details and like every single possible thing. Um, so I feel like we we've talked about like mostly everything that that like we need to talk about, but. Is there anything that I'm missing? Because I feel like we've had such a cohesive discussion about the protocols, the 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 COVID stuff. I didn't want to talk about the COVID stuff for long, and I talked. I, we said that before we were recording, just because there's people that are going to be in their stance regardless of how they listen to our podcast, and that's fine. That is your opinion to have. That's why. That's why it's sports. It's just it's opinionated, right? It's what you see and how you feel about it. If you remove yourself from the X's and O's, so. That is perfectly fine. I'm not saying any anyone's opinion is is not deserved, but you're listening to our podcast because you wanted to hear our opinion, right? So I think you got most of our opinions. I'm scared to even say more. I think it's <laughs> the perfect we should transition. Like this is yeah. You know, I feel free to shoot me, you know, hit me up on Twitter. And I may respond, I may not, because I've been responding a lot. And then think <laughs> I need a vacation. So uh, I'm ready. Let's talk about this game, dude. Let's talk, let's about, talk the about the cheese nips bowl. <laughs> the cheese nips bowl. Hashtag Dallas the goat. Uh, the cheese nips bowl. Um, man, what? Are, okay. So I told you uh, before we were recording. I said I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come today. With three hats, with three different versions of me, all right? I got you the rational, like, analyst version in me, right? I got, like, the total uh, glass, glass half-empty, like, analyst in me. Like, maybe Nam's, like, taking over half my body. Um, and then I got, like, the totally irrational like fan um that just wants to see us win and the rest of the world burn we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so I'm going to be switching hats. Very dark night of you. Mm-hmm. Love it. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to be going back and forth between the hats. I'll make sure to let you know which hat I'm wearing. Uh, okay. But as we talk about this game, uh, we'll go through it. Do you want me to start or would you would you like to start? Feel free to start. I just want to say that this is going to be called the hashtag three robs. <laughs> Feel free to use that hashtag. Once again, hashtag three robs <laughs> as you are reaching out to us on Twitter. All right. So I'm going to start with. Because Nam's not here, I'm going to start with the glass, like glasses empty, negative analyst version of me. Okay, let's start with that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read off what I said, and if I if if they're not complete sentences, I'll I'll uh I'll elaborate. All right. So the first thing is COVID was out of our control. Right. Let's just knock that out. We've been we already talked about it. Let's remove that from the equation. All we're going to talk about is the players that were available and the players that were not. Let's just assume that these players were unavailable due to injury for the sake of the argument, right? I don't want to go, we don't want to hash, talk yeah. about that all again. So let's just say they were unavailable due to injury or injured early in the game and we had to play with these guys, right? The indictment here on the football on the field isn't that the backup played bad or that Chase was so good that. Had he not missed, we would have won the game, right? Because that's the argument a lot of people are using when it comes to the outcome of this game, right? Is that Ryan Glover was terrible and Chase is our only hope and would have won the won us this game, which I think still a few of us still believe. If Chase was there, I think we could have won this game handily. Yep. Um, but the, the question and, and the, the concern I have is the coaching staff talent evaluated a backup, a graduate transfer backup to come in from an Ivy League to become the protector of the floor of the program. Right? That's why they named him the number two guy. That's the only reason they named him the number two guy, to be fair. Or to be totally frank. Right? Only has one year left. You bring him in as a grad transfer. He's the super senior. Why is he there? He's not to compete for the starting job. That's Chase's job. It's on the off chance that Chase does not perform well or on the off chance that Chase gets injured. You have a guy that can come in and maintain the floor so you don't have to test the ceiling of the quarterbacks following Chase. You don't you don't have to test whether Kai is going to be good enough or not just in year one, and you don't need to put that on his plate. You give him the full offseason to get through a quarterback battle and you win it. I think that's the, the healthy way to do this. 
to move on and, and to 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 improve your or to not to improve but to uh have your quarterback lineage like you know program and you know how you change generations that's the question and the the concern and the what's the word you you said earlier uh starts with an a oh god why am i blanking what's the what's the word to like keep some uh, accountable <laughs> accountable is the word i forgot all right now here yes yes i think that i don't have anything to say in as a counter or anything to that i think it's all super valid the only thing that I can say that I, when you were speaking that actually came up in my mind was when we talked about Chase because obviously I think that if Chase played this game, we would have won the game. But I don't think it would have necessarily been that. I think Chase would have hit probably most of those wide open throws and that would have opened up the run more. So, But I think it maybe would have been 21-10, something like that. It would have been tough. Because if you guys remember the Washington State game, we had no, effectively no O-line for whatever weird reason. And Chase looked bad. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't his fault. He had no time to throw. It's a tough, it's a tough gig, dude. When they're, they understand exactly what's happening. They know it's going to be a pass play. They know when it's going to be a run play. It's not easy to move the football. So I think like, yes, I agree. And anyone who's calling out the pedigree of the transfer and the past statistics and what you mentioned about protecting the floor. I think the actual fault that I see here is that people get frustrated with Wilcox because he makes aggressive calls in certain situations, but sticks to more of a conservative game plan. And if you asked me what we did in this game and Rob, we talked about this was and this might even been your idea, so forgive me. Diana said I've been doing that a lot. <laughs> um, but the point was that if you ran Kai out there and you started J. Mike and you just were like, I'm just going to let the rookies go. like Or not the rookie, no, the freshman go. I'm just going to, like, let's see what we got. I think a lot of people are way more forgiving of the loss. Now... My buddy, when I was talking to him about this, he's like, you'd have just as many people saying, why did you throw away the game? Why did you not play yep. your... Your senior and experienced senior guys. Yep. Experienced yep. guys. But I think maybe like the younger, like kind of our group would have been like, we were just happy to see what we got. Although there'd be people be like, our development is terrible. Look how bad guy looks. Like we can't underestimate how hard it is. And this is a good plug. Go listen to the podcast with Trevian Beck, the 89 Blitz. It's amazing. But what he says about the importance, especially on the line, we know that Wilcox has talked about the importance of a center. The center is effectively calling out what the defense is showing. And Rob, I will encourage you to please ex expand upon that. But that those three positional losses were far bigger than I think our quarterback and I bet Glover probably showed better in every single practice than what we saw in that game because he was behind an effective offensive line. And we just didn't have it. And it wasn't like we didn't have the effectiveness in the first quarter. We had opportunities. We missed them. He missed them. He missed the throws. 
And then the defense was like, great, this dude can't hit anything. No problem. We're not going to worry about the pass. We're going to worry about the run. And as the second quarter went on, we had opportunities to make them worry about the run and open up pass lanes, but we kept taking really big deep shots. And so what we did, we dug ourselves a deeper hole. Third quarter rolled around. Those opportunities came less and less. We had to rely on ridiculous ass penalties to move the football. And then finally in the fourth quarter, it was just so easy for Arizona's defense. It was like, cool. We know exactly what you guys are going to do. So it's like, yes, I understand but I also like would look at that and I'm still like, I just don't know if we show much better with, you know, a different guy just at that one position. I think it's the collective that really hurt more. Well, I mean, it, it, I'm going to I'm going to keep that hat on for a little bit. And, you know, you bring up a good point about the, the collective and everything that that transpired. Right. Um I mean, we could talk about the timeline and when he re- when he was getting first team snaps and when he wasn't. And, you know, maybe we should have known this was going to be the case when Musgrave came out in his presser on Wednesday and was like, yeah, you know, Chase was on the sidelines and we gave most of our snaps to all the other quarterbacks and Glover took the most snaps because we needed him to get up to speed. Maybe that was already the tell that we were going to see Glover as the starting quarterback. And if that's the case, then, you know, we saw him. He had practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, like. You know, as you know, Travion Beck, we keep referring to that podcast. He was talking about like the usually the third string guy is the guy who's usually going to be your scout team. You know, and I'm sure at quarterback is probably one of the walk ons, um, but whoever it may be. But the number two guy is still getting snaps throughout the season just to prepare him on the off chance that your number one guy gets hurt. Right. So. So if we go big picture back again. And this is the I, I think I'm on the same page with Nam about this. Oh, God. Nam's not going to listen to this podcast because he doesn't listen to other people's podcasts. But if if he were, uh, I hate it because he's going to be like, <laughs> I told you so. Um, but the, the glass is empty version of the analyst in me is like, how many times are we going to lose these types of games despite the mantra of the program being next man up and like we have to fight through adversity, right? Like... In the moment, like in a specific game, like one play, you have to get over that adversity or you have to get off the field on third down. That's adver- that type of adversity. There are moments we've done that, right? But in terms of the macro scale of like games that you needed to win in terms of the, the narrative and the progression of your program, you haven't gotten past those points at all, ever in a five-year tenure. Right. And the must wins, the ones you have to grind it out and win no matter what. We've rarely gotten those wins. This was one of them. This 100% was one of them. We were talking to Trey about that UCLA game a few years ago, right? That was another one of them. There are games that we needed to win out from a macro perspective, and you're just not able to do it. But the, but the coach speak that com- constantly comes in is we need to fight the adversity. We need to be next man up mentality. Guys need to be ready and guys need to be ready to play. And at some point, if you don't start showcasing that, then it, it just becomes empty words. I don't want to believe those are empty words. And that's the, I just switched hats right there for a split second about with, with my optimist hat. <laughs> but like that's just that's just what it is if i'm just looking at the results and i'm looking at the paper and i'm looking at the wins losses that have piled up over the last 5 years and 
that's the thing with like, you know, I'm a big Manchester United supporter, right? And that's the thing. They call our team right now under our current coach, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, they call him Moments FC. Even more so this season because we're not playing cohesive football. We don't have an identity. There's no specific way we play, but we still turn out wins because what? Sometimes the talent just comes above the surface and they rise to the occasion. Granted, we have probably the world's greatest player, Cristiano Ronaldo, and that is why we have those moments where he pulls out two goals in the last four minutes out of nothing and we win the game. That's a moment. We got the victory, but it's a moment. It's not It's it's not a healthy way to sustain a program or a, a, a team in terms of the wins and losses because those moments don't always come around. It's the grind-out games that you need to play out as a team with guys going out injured and, and whatever it may be that shows the progression that you're building a program. That's, I think what Nam is also saying is, isn't existent. And I'm, I'm not starting to see, I've seen it, but I'm becoming more and more inclined that to, to be like, yeah, that might be the, the bigger part of the pie chart in terms of the Wilcox tenure here at Cal. Is this Manchester Rob now? We have four Robs. <laughs> right now, it's not a great time to be a Rob uh, Rob sports fan. <laughs> it's, yeah. I So, I love this point. And the reason why is I, my big point with this game is that you cannot or should not Use this single game as any evidence of any larger takes about the program. Mm. And there's plenty of people that are willing to do that and are doing it. And that's fine. But that's, you know, my strong sort of take to that was that in an, in and of itself, this game was so wild because of the pre-existing conditions that even though it felt like a game that we knew, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Because you, there's none of those other games where you're like, yeah, for full health, we're probably winning 35-10. <laughs> it's like, those games were literally coin flips. This was a game that was an absolute landslide that became a coin flip because of extenuating circumstances. So that's the piece. But I do want to kind of um, address this, is that you know, so I've had that stance. I made it very publicly on Twitter. So I took time Sunday and I was like, you know what? I've had enough of how I feel about it and enough of defending my own perspective on it. Why don't I go and talk to some of my friends that are fans and just ask them? So I played tennis on Sunday and I saw a guy that actually has a tailgate with his family right next to the, uh, to the, you know, right for California tailgate. And I was like, hey, what did you think? what's going on with and he was he was pretty upset and was saying things along the lines of i just didn't expect them to look that bad you know something like that and that that as a pac-12 program he actually brought up this depth piece that you should be able to have enough there and i feel like a lot of people have been saying that once again go listen to the trevion beck 89 blitz it's very important to understand from someone who plays football 
regarding that depth point. But I'm not trying to take away from it. I just think that mm-hmm. the overall context mm-hmm. is important. But then I talked to my buddy, Cal grad, played rugby. He and I studied abroad together um, and played football at Miramani. And I just, we went, I don't know, probably hour and a half on a mountain bike journey just going into this game and talking about it. And what he said was really interesting, and I think it aligns perfectly with both pessimistic Rob, Nam, but then also with optimistic Rob and myself, which is that the we basically have to be okay with the coin flip games. We're, we're essentially saying we're in every game. We're never out of a game. Like we're not getting blown out in basically any game, you know, outside of UCLA, which we had one day to prepare for, right? When was the last time we got blown out of a game? So if you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. What you are getting is the coin flip. And what we got early on in Wilcox's career is we were closing out those games. And what's happened is we've stopped closing out those games. So you effectively have coin flips that we're losing. And so you have this sort of very variable kind of outlook on any given season. You could win nine as easily as you could win three or four. We've never seen three or four. Hopefully we don't see that this year, but we've been, you know, our point differential is 0.6 in Cal's favor. So what I love about this and where he arrived at was he's not out on Wilcox. The thing is, is like, Everybody really likes Wilcox and wants him to succeed. And as we said, he's like, he didn't think that there was anybody better to lead this program right now that would give them a better shot to win. And I agree. I don't think, and I've said this and I I told, I, I'm going to live up to this. We've made it this far. We're already in November. Like I'm not backing off this damn point. I'm not calling. I'm not going to say this season and make any sweeping judgments about the long-term career of Wilcox. What I will say, though, is I have made my peace with being competitive in every football game and understanding that you may not win those. But for me, it was far more important to be competitive in those games than it was to be in the Sonny Dykes era when we were entirely uncompetitive in the entire state of California for his entire tenure. Yeah. Right? Do we, do we beat UCLA, UCLA once? I think yeah. that was it. We never beat USC and we never beat Stanford. And Stanford dominated us. We were, there was like one big game where we kicked a shit ton of field goals and we were kind of in it, but not really. Like, there was never the big game of last year where they blocked extra point to win. There was never, you know, the big game before that where Chase runs in the end zone. There was never the big game before that when. We were, was it Laird who broke free and like couldn't quite get to the end zone because he wasn't quite fast enough? Can't remember. But I know like you and I were there and we're like, if that one play had been a touchdown, that's the thing. So that's what I take. I take the coin flip 
and I say, give me one year of the coin flip. Give me this defense back. We might have Chase back. We may not, but I'm going to bet big on Kai being good. And I know that we'll be competitive in every single game we play. And if the chips fall where they fall, then this team might hit eight or nine wins. But what I think you guys are looking for is the team that comes into these games and just doesn't make it a coin flip. And it's like, not on the losing sense, you just want to come into these games and be like, we're going to win this game and we win this game. Or Or at least the ones we should. Yeah. Or hey, you know, you lose somebody you shouldn't. You lose a starting quarterback and they don't throw away the entire game. A la McIlwain, Arizona, right? So I think that's, and, and all that to say, this long rambling thing is that I agree and understand and appreciate that perspective. And and what I was trying to come to to bring myself to and what my buddy was telling me is that maybe I have resigned my fact that I have come to such terms with Cal that seven and five, I'm happy with it, bowling, we get the axe, that I have indeed lowered my overall standard for where from where I used to hold it. It was basically what he was challenging me on. And that was a good challenge. It very well could be true. You know, it's been 10 years since I've graduated. That's it's a long time, dude. No gray hairs yet, but getting close. Standards, <laughs> standards change. And I think that's the point. I think that's the point that's missed on a lot of people. Like, I, I'd be I'd be hard pressed to believe that some people look at like our conversations between you, me, Nam, Nick, and some people might go, "How are you guys still friends when you guys are have such differing positions on the university and the program?" But that's the thing, we we respect the reason why we have those differing positions, and I think that's lost on a lot of people sometimes like right now, like Nam and Nick are we, you, if you listen, go back and listen to the state of the pro, uh, program podcast, which is still weirdly one of our most listened podcasts ever, <laughs> which is great podcast, by the way, uh, we're going to try and do another one at the end of the year, but you listen to where Nam and Nick are. And they're like, we didn't think of it as you guys are thinking about it. And we also, as, as case in point, how I look at it now in certain, in certain aspects, wasn't looking at it how how they were right i think the easiest thing to think about right no one no one that talks about cal football or like blogs about cal football wants the team to like andy you say seven and five right but like deep down inside like you want this team this some at this program like utopian dreams would be a national championship contender right i you see, you see, I can barely, dude, I barely sit down during yeah. games. Like, you saw me this weekend. We're playing Arizona with quarter of the team missing, and I can not sit yeah. on the couch. I mean, yeah, I say 7-5. I root for 12-0. Yeah. You know, it's like. That's all of us. But I say I say 7-5 and five to try and temper down right. some of my optimism that I've generally had for many years because I've sort of learned that I think, like, I, I do think that's kind of a, a good expectation to have with a coach like Wilcox because when you're playing this style of football with the margins being as thin as they are, the you know 
it's it's you just gotta help yourself a little bit there because otherwise you know you're just gonna be really down exactly (laughs) so like here's my here's my question slash challenge to you and i want to get your takes on this because remember how nan came on the pod and he was saying how he treats like cal as like his professional team and i was I've, i've been simmering on that more and more we had we had a long phone call about this on sunday and uh, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, is that is that how collegiate sports has become? Just like if you look at it across the board, like financially, like everything, it's become a very, very professionalized sport. We just don't put the professional label on it. And to go a little bit deeper into that, it's look, let's say you have let's look at the Giants, right? Let's look at let's look at the Giants when they were. In that like 2010, like on that World Series run over six years, most of those guys locked in. Maybe a couple guys you got in for trades and to help you team and and to boost up, you know, like the Scooteros. Like you, you have that, but the majority of your star talent is locked in, right? If you don't, if let's say you let's say you got to the World Series, like 10, 11, 12, but didn't win any of it, would you say? From a professional team standpoint, would it be a get rid of the players or would it be a let's see a coaching change first? Well, let's use the Rangers as an example. Back-to-back years. Back-to-back years. I mean, one strike Mm -hmm. away, as close as you Mm -hmm. can possibly get and weren't able to pull it off. And I think ultimately they did pin it more on Washington than they Mm -hmm. did on the actual players themselves. So I think that's... I think exactly that's the that's the trend that it's become versus and if and then the if you continue that argument, if you make that change at coach, right, and it doesn't work out, then the next thing you have to do is you change the roster complexion. Because by that time guys are getting older, trade value starts to decrease, um, the money's not being well spent, and you just know that you have to go into a rebuild, right? But the thing with college football is that it doesn't work that way. You don't you don't have full on roster makeovers. You don't have it's like it's always like a sim like a slow burn, right? Unless you're the Alabamas of the world and the Clemsons of the world, where you send like you know fourteen guys off to the NFL like every year, and it's like a total roster makeover. College basketball is kind of the same way with like the one and dones with Kentucky and Duke and so on. But for the majority of college sports. It's a slow burn. It's a uh, you bring guys in, you you need time to develop them, body everything, and then you start to see you start to see the fruits of your labor um, come. That every time you look at a program and it's not failing, and you only can blame the coach uh, for it. Of course, you have to blame the coach for not recruiting the right players and developing in them in the right way, and so on. But you have to take it in full and that's and then now I, i'm telling you this is my this is my optimistic hat rub on here is we've seen the progression at least defensively of guys uh progressing and growing up and we talked about that with Trey right it took a couple of years before the takers were actually the takers and it's clear that the DBs and the defense, the defense that we have right now is becoming a pretty outstanding defense. And most of them are back next year. Um, so, like, all that to say that 
like sometimes we don't give coaches enough time in the collegiate ranks. We think that we need to go into these constant five-year rebuilds to hope to hit that home run higher just to be able to compete when in actuality college football as a, as a platform might be better spent to look at it as a long-term project of eight to 10 years. Granted, if, if, if he's not winning after like two, three years, right? Like consistently winning, like getting into a bowl game and it's just like two wins a season, like every year for like three or four years. Okay. Yeah, sure. That's a extreme circumstance, but maybe you do need to make the change there. But for the rest, it's like you, you want to see, they, they talk about culture. They talk about like installing like your image on the program and what you want that team to be. And that might happen over a year, but it, you're not really going to see the fruits of that labor until three, four years down the road when you have multiple recruiting classes come in. And by multiple recruiting classes, I mean multiple generations of recruiting classes. Like two recruiting classes might get you those wins, but if he bombs out on another two, then you know you don't have the foundation of the program to continue. And I think that's where maybe some of the difference lies in how people think is because you and I look at this program and we go, that's why we're willing to give Wilcox more time is because we might think of it as a six to eight year term thing of turning around a program and, and getting it to that point. Cause we, we went through Tedford, right? Yeah. Cause we saw him get that much time. Um, It's a little different. It's a little different. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he saw immediate success. Um, yeah. But I think that's some of the changes. So like, that's the question I had to you was like, are we on the, is that the, is, am I tracking all like you and me correctly? Or is it, or do we need to start maybe upping the ante and treating it like a professional, professional team with the money that's being thrown around? Um, It's a really, it's a good question because of, I would make the case that, if you look at the overall landscape of college football, that it has changed drastically since Tedford was here. And a lot of people look back on the Tedford glory days of why can't we just do that? And I, I would say to that, look around and what's happening in college football. And that's why we can't do it anymore because the, the players of a, of a Marshawn Lynch uh, being in your backyard and or Deshaun Jackson, a five-star wide receiver choosing to go to Cal instead of USC. Um, you know, that dude's now looking being recruited by Alabama, Clemson, Florida, uh, you know, whoever you want, Georgia, you know, the, the, the movement that has happened now is much different than it used to happen back then. But to your point about pro, like the professional side, like I just don't think I'll ever look at it that mm-hmm. way because for me, it's much more important to have someone that I think represents the university well graduates their players uh, at an exceptional rate, cares deeply about building them as, you know, individuals, professionals, and leaders. And, um, and I also would add on top of that, like the, what's really interesting is the way that Knowlton thinks about like Mark Fox, right? He gives coaches three years. And I was thinking about this, like we had three years of Wilcox and we achieved eight and five. And then we kind of had to reset from that and then we've had a bunch of weird shit happened in between that, which was 2020 and COVID and then and this season. But to me, the the penultimate year is next year when we return a ridiculously deep defense around an offense that, you know, we're putting we'll have J. Mike, Justin Baker, and Jeremiah Hunter 
and Damian Moore, as well as Chris Street and DeCarlos Brooks, uh, mm-hmm. maybe <laughs> all potentially and Jermaine Terry being a part of that. So that to me is like, if you're ever going to build expectation, build it around next year. But this to me was not the right year to do it. And that's why I went with seven and five, but I'm not close enough. I don't look at the program as a professional team. And we talked about this. Like I'm not over the summer listening to a bunch of coaches interviews and like concerned. I'm like, taking the time to like you and I are on different podcasts talking about random shit that doesn't we're talking about the Olympics like you know it's like we take we build that separation whereas with the Giants I'm like cued into every single signing who are we signing why are we signing them why do they look what did they look like in spring spring training what is our roster looking like you know I'm paying attention to that at a much mm-hmm. deeper level to try and get a sense of what is there with Cal I like to figure it out more slowly because it's college it's it's imperfect. Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, like SEC, or even like throw in maybe like Ohio State, like they've elevated this game at those schools to be to chase that perfection. We've seen now repeat titles. This is probably also some way in some form the fault of the four team playoff. Right? Like if you had a bigger pool to pull from. You'd have more variety in there, and I think players would be more more likely to go and stay home than be four-string at Alabama. Because if you're four-string Alabama in three years, you're likely to be on you know national television winning a championship. Versus if you go and start at Cal, you're ne- probably never on ESPN. You're just you know, like, on Pac-12 Network. That's just how it works. <laughs> you know, starting it up. Uh, there's a lot of pieces there. I mean, the other thing too is like we keep chasing this as a pro team. Like, dude, I don't know how to say this, but like the the Bay Area doesn't look at sports the same way as everywhere else. And if we're trying to like think if we're thinking that a five and three or a five and two Cal team is gonna sell out Memorial, maybe. But I don't think so. Because the Giants won 103 games and needed to win every single game at home against the Diamondbacks to close the season. And we pulled 21 K 21 and 22 and 25, nothing. And that team had 103 wins. They were better than any Cal team has ever been period. That team was, that was unprecedented. (laughs) And in the most, the closest pennant race and the best pennant or divisional race, I think I've ever seen in regards to the talent and the total wins between those two teams. And we're pulling, you know, stadiums that are missing 16, 17 K. So I don't, I just don't, I don't know if professional standards in a, in a collegiate game at Cal work well. And you also see the insanity of it when you go on the other blogs and they're like, say this, they Alabama loses one game and everybody wants Saban fired. And that's the, I don't want that insanity. I don't want to chase that. Dude, give me seven and five over that banana shit. I don't want to like have fans that <laughs> are, take, you though. know. That's that's definitely a hot take. But, but like, I'm not saying that it wouldn't be awesome to be competing at that level. But like, I also don't want the baggage that comes with it. And the baggage that comes with a professional team. Though. Right, 
Oh, but I can. can you? I can. I, I can have my cake and eat it too. <laughs> I think. I don't. I don't know if you can, but like. The, like all of that stuff, like let's take Alabama for example, like all that all that crazy stuff that goes with it, that's part of being a cha- a team and a program that consistently wants national championships, and that is the standard you're putting on it. And one loss, and as you said, it's a it's a it's a uh, direct causation of the 14 playoff. One loss could knock you out of contention for a national championship. Right. Change change the right. playoff. Because it, it shouldn't, yeah. it shouldn't matter that much, and well, it, and that's what I'm saying. It's like I'd rather compete at nine and three, and at least have some semblance semblance of dignity, than compete <laughs> for twelve and zero and be like having all of our boards just be people attacking players and like chasing coaches out of town. It's just like what it's then then we've lost sight of they're they're student athletes. <laughs> I think it ultimately it, it comes down to not only your expectation for the program and the standard you're setting for the program, but like your expectation and your knowledge of how the program works, what the finance situation of the program is, and what they're able to do within that within that premise, right? Like we don't rake in the money, nor do we have the donors that come in like an organ. Or, or schools like that, right? That's why we're always looking for that home run hire to move on, um, like after Tedford, right? It's like that. Who can we get like an assistant or like a P5 coach who's done well who might want to be looking for that next move up? We're never looking for established coaches. Like we, we rarely do. Like we lucked out with Monty for basketball, but I mean, at the same time, like he was just fired by the Warriors and he was out of a job, Um and he only gave us what five or six years before he had to retire. Like he was towards the end of his career, anyways. We we had Conzo, but then he moved on to going home slash greener pastures because of the financial situation and some of the some of the logistical things that comes with being a coach here at Cal. So I think if if I if, and then this is my third hat, right? If I'm going to be the totally irrational fan that like just wants to see the program succeed, I'm like, I want all that. I want all of that. I want us to be vying for national championships. I want us to be getting the best recruits. I want the stadium being sold out. And I want better facilities, like, across the board of everything. Like, I want the state-of-the-art stuff. I want, like, Oregon just invested, like, what, like another $100 million something into a new sports facility? Um, I want that. I want to be able to point to that and just be cool. It's, like, it's it's so, uh, so first-world country problems. <laughs> but... As, I, as if I'm going to be a rational fan, that's what I want. But it's it's as and then I now I put my rational fan cap back on or analyst back on, and I've come to realize I've gotten older and as I've, as I've covered this team and this program and this university more and more, it's not likely to happen here unless you come in with a Phil Knight type of, you know, guy that's willing to you know, flip the table and just just say I'm financing everything go for it type of situation it's just not going to happen here so we have to make do with what we have and I think Andy you've come to terms with seven and five is what you'll make do with like that's the that's the bare minimum that you want I still think my bare minimum was probably around eight wins eight or nine wins consistently and then every once in a while vying for like the 10 or 11 win season um but that's the I think that's the realistic way. 
maybe it's healthy, maybe it's not. Maybe we're just getting old and we're Debbie Downers. I don't, <laughs> I don't think this is a Debbie Downer at all. I, I, I think it's a positive outlook, I hope. It would really change my worldview if it was a negative outlook. But I think that the... The thing that's beautiful about the NCAA tournament is you just have to get in. Basketball. I moved to basketball, just so you know. <laughs> so now, but that's the that's the beautiful thing about it, right? You just got to get in. And then the magic happens. That's well, you, the magic. That's Mark. See, Radnus. but the flip side of that argument is you need the wins to get in. Don't don't get me wrong. Yeah, but you go 20 and 10 with your team. Well, you're on the bubble and you and couldn't you, get in depending on how the team plays. But you, right. you go on a roll. Exactly. You just got to get in. But that's the thing is that the CFP is is just chasing this idea. Of, we're chasing undefeated seasons. We've gotten so ridiculous where we've almost had five of them and we weren't going to let like we had to choose between five undefeated teams. And it's like the second you have a loss, everything is ruined. And dude, the NFL isn't even that way. <laughs> it's not even close to that way. So I mean, if anything, the I NBA is like expanded. Like they have that eight, the eighth seed play in now. Look at the dude. The Braves just won the World Series, and they were they had the least amount of wins of any playoff team. Right? I don't. I think they had the least of any single playoff team, definitely in the NL. Um, and they just won the World Series. It's not about being perfect. It's really about progression, and that's what I think you and I have said the whole time. You progress well late, and you go on a run, six, seven wins, and you charge into the playoffs. Or you charge in the Pac-12 championship, you win that. You charge in the Rose Bowl, you win that. And in the future, when we have a 12-team playoff or an 18-team playoff, you charge into that next game, you win that. It can take you places. That it can. All right, did you have any other points? I know you had three points. That's it, because we covered it. My last one was like program long-term. Talking about the coin coin flip nature of it, and Wilcox just like overall, I think being you know, just him being the the guy that I believe is is the right fit for now. I don't see anybody out there that I'm dying to bring in that I think can do the same thing, but make us that much better. Well, can we talk about one more point before we close? Um, mm-hmm. The news breaking today is that, or not? Was it today or was it yesterday? It was yesterday, I think, that uh, Washington fired their offensive coordinator, John Donovan, after 12 games, I believe, because they played, what, like five games last year and then uh, seven games this year? No? Oh, no, they would have played more. Anyways, 14 games, something along those lines. John Donovan's out the door. So that's the question I had is the stand and we, we that's what we were talking about is the standard at which you hold this program accountable in terms of what you want. The athletic department and the, the donors at Washington deemed that it wasn't up to standard and a move needed to be made. And that's happening. Whether that was a that choice or a Jimmy Lake using his fire his coordinators to save himself from getting fired for one more year card. Uh, whether it was that card being played, I don't know, but maybe it's a summation of both. Um, but like, let's flip it back to this Cal side. I'm not saying anyone's going to get fired or I'm, I'm vouching for anyone to get fired. But if the season, if the season ends on a flat note, like it, like it started and the only two like little blips that you have in terms of optimism are against Oregon state 
and against Colorado, then and okay, I guess you could maybe say TCU as well, um, because the offensive form was there, but the offense kind of tapered off towards the second half. But anyways, I digress. Um, is there is there a change that needs to be made, or would that change maybe some of your outlook on the program? And if Wilcox decided, if that's how it played out, and Wilcox decided to keep Musgrave on, like, because we have enough data considering last year and this year and a full season this year, like that we're not making enough changes and holding like the, the, the standard of play to a higher like level. Cause like it's not even reaching your seven and five like yearly, right. Just from a macro yeah. perspective and what you're seeing on the field. So I I think, I think I would be a little bit out, outraged if that was the case um, that Washington is willing to do that mid season and, and try new things because it's clearly not working for them. And it's definitely not working for them more than it has for us. But um I that's that's what I was gonna say. It's we've dude, the offensive number look, I mean, I'm not the world's biggest Musgrave fan, but like the our offensive numbers look way better. And I just don't think there's any chance that Wilco unless Knowlton was like, you gotta make changes and they have to be on the offensive side of the football again. The only thing that I would want then is like, give me, I, I was always like, is Helton? He's gone now. <laughs> I was like, people will kill, people will kill me. He's at Georgia um, Southern now. But what I would want would be like a Graham Harrell, like someone that would completely flip the offense. And Wilcox doesn't want to do that, man. He wants to run pro style. Like it's just not the style of offense. Like to me, I'd want to pair this Wilcox sermon defense with um sermon hayward defense with a air raid offense and go really modern look at what the cardinals are doing look at you know what oklahoma's doing like give me the air raid offense and pair it with a really sick defense but anything else and i'm kind of like but it's just it's just not with the ethos of wilcox and what he wants to do and I do think there's good evidence of like what we've seen them they want to do from it. But I just can't imagine them. I, I, that's what someone else said I asked. And they said, yeah, we need to make changes on offensive coaching stuff. I'm like, again? <laughs> you know, it's like, you really expecting that to make a huge difference? We've already done it. I just, I don't know. I like, that's what I'm saying. I'm just taking the dice. I'm like, just roll them one more time. And they're the same die. In large part, maybe you have a couple of changes, but you keep the staff for continuity. Musgrave picked out his quarterback of the future, Kai, and and you go with it. You see how it works out. But I mean, it's not like twenty twenty two is going to get any easier for them either, you know. And then, yeah, I mean, twenty twenty two ends up becoming if you don't win a single game here on out, twenty two is make or break. If you go six and six, it's probably not make or break, despite what pe- may, people may want it to be. Well, I mean, because like um, this season was the one you needed to win, because you could toss it up. If you had won more games this season, let's say you had gone eight wins this season, and then you you jump back down to like five or six next year, you could chalk it up to you're replacing a bunch of guys, you're moving on, and you're revamping the program. But the moment you you toss all your chips into this season and you don't get to even the baseline of six then you're looking at a season next year where you have to travel to Notre Dame. You have to host UNLV. You have to go to Davis. Like that's not an easy out of conference schedule. And then on top of that, 
like host host Oregon, go to UW. Um, I mean, we'll still play Colorado and Arizona. Man, I like that schedule. I really do. But I'm just saying it's harder to, it's harder to find wins there than it was this year. I I disagree wow. with you on okay. that one. I like Nevada way more than Davis. I like uh TCU way more than UNLV. And yeah, Notre Dame is better than Sac State or whatever whatever you want to compare it to. But Probably should compare um, Notre Dame to TCU. <laughs> yeah. You want to compare Power Five teams, Power Five teams. <laughs> um yeah but i think two of i take two out of those three and then you're and you get oregon at home who we've now played competitively with almost every single time and make the case as a home game we probably win that we beat them last time when they came here you get washington also at home no and yeah yeah dude did we play them away this year so we get washington at home oh yeah we do get oregon and washington at home in the same years huh and then when you, and then you still have Arizona, oh. who you get at home, and you have Colorado on the road, and then you and, get LA away. Yeah, I don't know. Washington LA away, State, and Washington Stanford State away, home, and Oregon State away. SC away. Oregon State away will be tough, but uh, Washington State like a little bit of trap game, trap game vibe. But I mean, they look good. I, I like that schedule, dude. I do. I, that's what I'm saying. Roll the dice one more time. That's where I'm at. Roll it. Just roll it one more time. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know. With all the COVID stuff, I don't know if Chase is going to come back anymore. But we'll see. There's a lot to talk about and a lot lot, lot that we did. Um, but I think we covered everything. Is there anything else you think we need to cover? No? I think we're good, right? So we got so we got two things to end the pod, right? First thing is we got to talk about our victory cannon, right? We got anything that you're launching into the cannon despite a non-victory this week my goodness i have absolutely no idea i can start to get by you some time (laughs) um the thing for me i think that's been super helpful over like the last few months like getting back into like society (laughs) hanging with friends um the one thing that's been super great for me, I think, is playing board games, like tabletop games, just interacting with people, like not on a TV screen or anything, very like analog, right? And um, I have a huge collection, uh, and guys, I have a like a DN, like Dungeons & Dragons type game, like a campaign-based game that I have buddies over at my place that we play every Friday night. Um, and I cannot, I cannot uh, emphasize enough like how good, how much good like memories, conversations, and like healthy it is to play these types of games that are strategic and you're testing your mind a little bit. You have the laughs, you have a good time, um, but you're not like glued to a screen, right? You're not glued. To, not, not everyone's looking at the same direction. You're making eye contact with people because you're sitting around a table and um, interacting. And I, um, I actually connected with someone uh, from our tailgate. Uh, Andy, you met her too. Shout out to Stacy. Um, she apparently is a very huge uh, board gamer too, and we were like talking about like the different board games she plays, and we were like, uh, I was asking her about certain games I had, and she was like, "Have you played this before?" And I was like, "I had never heard of that game before." Um, but 
it's it's cool it's great if you can find a group of buddies uh and a group of friends to play it's i think it's a great way to get yourself back into the rhythm of socializing with people and and all of that without like being outdoors or like you know with a lot of people and so on with whoever you feel comfortable with you can do that and the best place to go to get that would be games of berkeley arguably one of the best board game shops like in the bay area it's huge the guys are nice they'll give you such good recommendations um they also have this section with like local games where it's like in with like game makers and uh creators within the bay area so they're super cool like small little games that you can get there and they're super kind and friendly and you can find out like they're uh they can give you some recs there's also like a used game section in the back where i've sold a bunch of games there before too and you can like get your hands on some lightly used games but i would highly recommend it i think it's been good for my uh taking care of my mentals <laughs> so to speak so that would be mine that's great let's go with that one rob i love that i'll just second it <laughs> all right the second thing is is if you didn't know uh home field apparel launched all of their cal stuff they partnered with right for cal with uh 15 off your first purchase you can use the promo code right for cal i believe it ends this week uh so if you haven't gotten it get it andy is actually wearing one of his shirts right now andy how does that shirt feel it's great i was just admiring the lettering on it is so yeah. good the font's so great how does it feel it's yeah. good i uh i've watched it first it's a okay. little issue well yeah that's your fault <laughs> for not doing that um do you always do that there are certain shirts that you can wear right away and you don't feel itchy but I think for the majority, yeah. I think it is. And it might be whatever it is that's like in the packaging or, or whatnot. But um, but yeah, so not only does the Rifer Cal have that promo code, Rifer Cal, get 15% off your first purchase. But we also have a giveaway that we've gotten uh, partnering with Homefield. Uh, Andy, would you like to tell the kind folks that are listening to this? how they can get into the selection process of potentially potentially winning some home field Cal gear. Okay, so this is definitely something that you'll want to do, and it's very simple. For the post-game USC podcast, the California Golden Bearcast Twitter account will make a tweet that says, ask your questions. Anybody that asks a question or even just makes a, mm -hmm. a statement, just a pure take, will then automatically be entered into a lottery for the person that will draw will draw names or handles out of a hat. And whoever wins, we will DM you. We'll get your shipping information, and you'll get some fresh new gear. And the gear is so dope. Like, I can't even begin to explain, like, this shirt is Andy, amazing. Andy, you're wearing one of them, but how, how, if you don't mind, how many items did you purchase? Got one for my dad, one for my mom, three for myself. <laughs> five total. And and asked for one more for a Christmas present. So, yeah. Yeah, it's clean. So, um, yeah, it's as easy as that. All you got to do is pay attention for that tweet coming out. We'll make sure that you don't miss it, but um, get in there and we'll read the questions on air and That'll help us frame up the conversation after USC. Hopefully and somebody gets free gear. Somebody gets yep. some. All good things. We're t we're turning. We're 
Turning back the clock, and we're going to go to the vibes from Oregon State. Just all positive, happy vibes. Turn back the clock, baby. Turn back the clock. Once again, you can find us on Twitter at GoldenBearCast. That's the Twitter handle you want to be on the lookout for. You can also email us at uh, GoldenBearCast at gmail.com. We're the Golden Bearcast. We're the part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. And all our written stuff is on RightForCalifornia.com. And from myself and Andy, as always, Go Bears. Go Bears. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com